Okay, I'm going to stick to your first name. <laughs> oh, God, you don't know my full name. My full name is Caron Petitpas. So there you go. Yeah, and which, which, which literally means small steps, which is weird for a six, <laughs> six foot two guy. <laughs> you are a big dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel at home when I'm standing next to Etienne, if that makes sense, Kaushik. Oh, wow, really? Okay, okay. So yeah, he's tall, like, tall like I am, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first time I saw Don, right? So, like, we've, all, like, we've only <laughs> done, like, video calls, and so I haven't yeah. seen him, right? And so, in Palo Alto, like, the first time, like, hey, we should meet up for lunch, right? And I'm like, I saw him across the road. I was like, huh, that guy looks pretty tall. You know, he didn't look that tall <laughs> when I saw him, like, on the video. And as I came close to him, I was like, holy cow, you are tall. <laughs> From the Spec Network, this is Fragmented, an Android developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better Android developers. I'm Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. Sometimes uh, you look at the technologies on the horizon and think, wow, that stuff is so cool, but I wouldn't know where to start building that kind of stuff. I've had that opinion too of VR apps or, you know, virtual reality apps. If only there was someone who could explain these things to me, you know, in a way that I can understand, you know, in a way that uh, an Android developer can understand. Well, if you had that thought too, this is your lucky day because we talk to Etienne in this episode and he gets us up to speed on how one builds a VR app. After listening to this one, my first thoughts were, huh. This stuff is not so different. It doesn't seem that difficult after all. Hope you enjoyed this episode on VR apps as much as Don and I enjoyed it when we talked to Etienne. Let's get started. Kaushik, did you get a good night's sleep? I did. I did, actually. It, so I'm not sure if you've been following the weather. Last week was amazing in California, but... Now, last few days, it's been raining again, so nobody knows what's happening with the climate here. It's <laughs> crazy over here. It's just been freezing cold when it should be a little bit warmer, so uh, yeah, it's what it is, right? Yeah. I probably shouldn't complain too much. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, have you played with, like, Google Cardboard at all, or did you get the Cardboard at I.O. a few years ago? I did. I got the Cardboard, and I got the Daydream. Once I got my Pixel phone, right, I also got, like, the VR headset because I was early enough when I Ooh. ordered my Pixel uh, phone. So I also got the Daydream headset and yeah, I've, I've used it. So the thing is, I've never actually thought about like developing for it. I mean, I have thought, but I haven't done anything about it. Uh, but I have used it. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Uh, I got the cardboard, um, years ago and I played with some of the apps and I thought it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never really dove into it too deeply and I don't have a headset yet though. My daughter keeps begging to get one because she really wants to try it out, but I'm afraid she'd probably walk through the window if I wasn't <laughs> careful, you know? <laughs> Um, so anyway it's been something that's been very interesting to me and I know that you and I have talked about this offline a few times and Mm -hmm. I thought we thought it would be best to get someone on the show to talk about it and I think without further ado let's please welcome Etienne Caron on the show welcome Etienne hey guys hey how's it going Good, good. Nice to be here. Now, Etienne, for the folks that are out there that maybe have not been familiar with with any of your talks or presentations, which I've seen many of, uh, can you give them a little bit of background uh, about maybe who you are, 
maybe where you work, how long you've been developing on Android and so forth? Yeah, so I'm uh, Etienne Caron. I'm part of the uh, GDE program, and uh, that's due to my involvement in the Android community in Montreal. I work for a company, a Canadian company called Shopify. Oh, um, yeah. I love Shopify. Oh, thanks. So, yeah. And um, otherwise, in the community lately, in the last few years, I've been more and more getting involved in in VR and, and all that good stuff because I'm, I'm a bit of a gadget hound uh, to start with, really. Oh, so, nice. yeah, there's a lot of going on there. <laughs> so, uh, how did you get into VR? I mean, uh, was it as part of like some Shopify experience that you were trying to build or was it just out of curiosity on the side and you said, hey, I'm going to just like try this thing on the side? It's a funny thing because Shopify actually has a VR department and they're doing all sorts of super interesting stuff. Like, I recommend Ooh. viewers check out their blog. Uh, there's a lot about cognitive science in there and things like that, but I'm, I'm not actually part of that at all. Uh, VR mm-hmm. is a hobby I picked up basically when I started out like a long time ago, uh, programming in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. There was this thing called the demo scene though. That might, I'm revealing my age here, but <laughs> what is that? Have, I don't know. No, 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 I haven't heard, heard of it. Yeah. I think I'm pretty yeah. close to your same age as you, but I'd like to know what that is. All right, so uh, if you go back to the days where we didn't have internet and modems were running at 1,200 bods, uh, people would basically share, quote unquote, their software, just copying floppies, right? Mm-hmm. And so after a little while, people started putting little tags like graffiti on those disks. So mm-hmm. those are called intros. You might have seen them or might have heard of them. So let's back up a second sorry yeah. what's a floppy oh yeah, just kidding oh, <laughs> yeah. ouch I, are just, you just yeah, one of those I'm guys that clicks kidding. on it don't know what it is <laughs> oh, i'm just kidding i've what? i've totally Get used off floppies my lawn. too <laughs> what are those icons about it's I like know, a right? Same? Right? I'm right? that makes no sense <laughs> just kidding i'm just kidding <laughs> sorry you were going on yeah yeah well so so people would just basically put like graffiti on those discs like mm-hmm. they put a little running program that would start before the actual game or the actual software would start and they just say hi to their friends and brag about how they cracked the software and things like that <laughs> i remember this yeah. oh my goodness i do i totally remember this <laughs> that's so funny what started happening after a while is that people started sort of competing on the merits of those little programs they started sort of exploiting the video hardware of those device of those old computers and trying to pull like better and better tricks, right? Mm-hmm. For bragging rights. After a little bit, they stopped even putting it in front of software and they just made full discs of these intros and these demos. And before long, you had like actual weekend long competitions where people would prepare a demo, just meet up and they'd compete for prizes. And they were sort of your sort of proto hackathons, if you will. And we're talking late '80s, early Ooh. '90s. Wow, is that is that your kind of your your what got you interested in VR, or or what was that like the catalyst for you? Yeah, so I ended up organizing one of those demo parties like mid '90s, and my first exposure to VR came from that. So I got an internship out of it for summer, and we're talking '94. So this was really low tech, but. Uh, you started having the first wave of really failed VR back then. So I got to try one of those headsets that would connect a VGA card and would have like a glorious resolution. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you'd have like for the two eyes, you'd get something like 320 by 100 resolution. <laughs> Ooh, you do not want to yeah. eat before that. <laughs> no, it was, it was kind of, yeah, very dizzying, very sort of no- nauseous inducing for sure. Yeah. From those days on, like I really got interested uh, you know, fast forward after my studies, I started working and, you know, like that hobby sort of died down for me, but I kept keeping an eye on 
3D video, getting sort of interested and excited about all the new video cards that coming out and all that. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to a few years ago when they came out with cardboard, and I was definitely interested and started poking around and made it my hobby, basically. So, you know, VR is is a kind of the the general term. And I think we've just been throwing it around. Would you mind explaining for folks out there that really are out of touch with it, what exactly is VR? Is you know, what's that that acronym mean? It doesn't mean cardboard. Does it mean daydream? Does it mean Samsung? Does it mean Oculus? Does it mean any? What exactly does that term mean? Right. So virtual reality, right? That's the acronym. Mm-hmm. Uh, things kind of get really fuzzy really quickly uh, because if you look at virtual reality and augmented reality, these two things are starting to converge. But for the purpose of the discussion, like VR as we know it today is like 3D stereoscopic uh, rendering on uh, with a headset right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and typically what that means is that your phone is going to render two images one for each of your eyes and that headset that you're going to put your phone in in the case of daydream and cardboard is going to make uh is going to basically the lens are going to make you see 3d in 3d in stereoscopy so give you the full effect stereoscopy I'm probably pronouncing it. What, what is that? So, right. So, w- when it, your eyes are basically seeing the world from two points of view, right? So, the, okay. the delta between those two things is how your brain sort of detects depth, right? So, that's okay. the effect that you're getting when you're using VR and you're using these headsets. The, to add to the illusion, uh, what's nice about phones nowadays is we have like um, using all the sensors on board and the accelerometers and sensing where gravity is, you can tell where somebody's turning their head, right? So mm-hmm. you can change the 3D perspective based on the person's uh, head position, which is what gives you this effect of virtual reality. This is how you can suspend disbelief and really put people in those environments as if they were oh. there. Yeah, I saw that. You guys probably saw this too, but it was that thing floating around the web where folks were standing on a like a two by six on a, on the floor, but they had the VR headset on it, and it was like a plank. And VR in the VR world, they had to go out and get like a kitten at the end of this plank that was on the skyscraper. Mm-hmm. And people were just terrified, but they were just on a two by six on a regular floor, but it really engulfed them to make them feel that they are way high up on a building. Yeah, that effect is like really where you see the power of VR. For some people who haven't tried it, it's very abstract, right? People are like, why are people freaking out? This is just like a small, (laughs) like one inch raised thing on the floor. But the thing is, our nervous system has evolved to sort of use uh, the visual feedback as one of our main sort of drivers, right? Mm -hmm. So... Your everything in your nervous system goes, I'm high up on a skyscraper, I'm going to die, right? So you, you can't <laughs> help it for the most part, mm-hmm. unless you get really used to it. After a while, you do get used to it, but that's part of the thrill of using VR for the first time. So if, if a listener out there hasn't tried it and gets a chance to try it, I would definitely recommend like going a little bit out of their way just to sort of play with these experiences. You mentioned stereoscopy, stereoscopy right? <laughs> uh, yeah, tricky word. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> the the way I understood it is like, if, just for curiosity, like when folks are actually trying the VR, you should also remove your phone, like if you use like Daydream or like one of the other platforms and look at it on your mobile, like just to see how it renders on the screen like yeah. without any of the equipment. And you'll see it'll actually make more sense because it's like, like you said, it's tuned towards uh, like you'll have two independent sort of like renditions of like video hap- uh, going on, right? And so that you can see that they're trying to like sort of like make each, like they're building an image for like each eye, right? And then once you put it into like, you know, the cardboard or like the 
uh, the headset, it sort of like builds that visual sort of like 3D effect. Yeah, it's true. It's a very good way to get like an intrinsic feel, like a gut feeling and how this exactly works. Like, yeah, totally. So on those two images, I've seen that on the screen. And for those of you that are listening that, that have seen this too, I've seen those they're two like little oblong images when your your phone is in like in a landscape orientation. And you said something about depth perception that was interesting. Uh, and I'm just kind of asking the question, general question here. Let's say the image on the left portrayed an object closer to me. Uh, and then the image on the right-hand side of the screen made it look like it was further away. If I had that in a VR headset and I had it on, would that give me the perception that like something is coming at me from that angle and, and that how my brain would perceive it? Yeah, totally. So yeah, if uh, basically the closer the object is, the more the bigger the delta on those two images is going to be. So mm-hmm. That's how you're going to tell that something is right up in your face, right? Whereas okay. if things are like very very far away, the effect of perspective really gets diminished in a sense. Right, something that's very far away, your two eyes don't really see a difference in where it is in space that much. Which is kind of like if you look out your window and you see a tree that's you know a hundred feet away, it's and you move your head back and forth. It's kind of it looks like it stays almost in the same place, right? Yeah, totally. Like another way to try this, like and just like, get a feel for it, is just like close one eye, open the other. When you have something close to your to your nose, say, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna notice. Oh yeah, it's true. Like this image doesn't look like it's in the same place depending on which eyes open, right? Everybody's doing this right now. <laughs> I just did it right now. I was like, Me too. Oh yeah. Okay, my mic now looks at a different position. Never mind. If you're driving, please open both of your eyes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Keep those peepers <laughs> open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we have we talked about cardboard a little bit. We got like the VR headsets out there um, that you can buy from Google and so forth. But we also have things like Oculus. Like I don't know where that fits in the situation. I've seen some stuff out there that's like for Steam. Then I've also seen things like uh, web-based VR. How do these do these work together? Are they different, or or what's the the situation here? Right. So the the big players right now in the space on the on the desktop side of things are Oculus and Vive. Right. So those are the those are what I think we can say uh, popularized and really took VR to the next level. And the reason those experiences are so compelling is mostly because of the way that you can interact with a space, right? So uh, in the case of the Vive, well, Oculus also has Oculus Touch now. So you have these remotes that you can hold in your hands, right? And this allows you to see your hands or to see what you're doing in VR. You can even get up and walk about a room and you can interact with these virtual objects in that space. So you can pick up a ball, throw it across the room, or even catch something and get a little bit of haptic feedback on your hands, right? So this takes the stereoscopic aspect of things that you're going to get with, say, cardboard, and it brings it to the next level. Got it. Interesting. So I had a quick question. Uh, Microsoft has like is has famously uh, done this with the Kinect, right? Like the a similar sort of strategy. So how is that like a different concept altogether? Like I don't necessarily think that has anything to do with VR, but they do like use a similar sort of like aspect of like using the Kinect, and then that uses like imagery in some ways in like recognizing it, right? Right. So they're they're basically putting two cameras and looking at the. Uh, at least I think it's two cameras of the Kinect. I might be wrong there, but mm-hmm. they compare two images and they can see depth for oh, objects it. coming at the the, the setup. Ah, this this. This has been used on VR rigs in a way like people will, people used to, before Oculus came out, like there was a huge an enthusiast scene where people would make their own headsets and some people would put a connect on there to sort of be able to see their own hands in the virtual simulation, in the virtual world. Oh, so that's, nice. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's cool. a nice hack. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, yeah it's an interesting hack. 
I want to back up just a little. So I think I have an understanding now of what VR is, right? There is also AR, which is like augmented reality, right? And I know, like, in if for folks who follow the tech news, I know like Apple is like apparently like Tim Cook or someone said like AR is their big bet versus VR, which is what like the rest of the industry is like betting on. Can you briefly also tell us what the difference is between AR and VR? Are they the same thing? Is it just a slight modification of one over the other? Right. So AR is basically the promise that you can superimpose uh, things onto your your day to day reality. Right. Uh, when Google Glass came out, a lot of people were really hopeful that this was going to be AR, and in a sense, it was. You would basically have a TV screen up in front of you that would report information. But proper AR, as we imagine it, is a bit like uh, that movie with Tom Cruise. What was it? A Minority Report. Oh, yes, yes. thank yeah. you. That UI, right? Everybody uh-huh. started dreaming about AR basically there. Or if you think about the Terminator vision or Robocop's like oh, head-up yeah. displays, right? So that's what most people imagine when they think of AR. And right now, we don't have a lot of devices out there, but there is Project Tango from Google that that basically sort of fulfills that promise, right? Right, right, right. You can right. have virtual objects superimposed onto the world the only difference oh. is you don't get to wear that on your head right like you, right, you right. basically have a tablet that you look the world through right a magic window right 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 and i mean uh, for folks who are like who didn't uh, quite catch that ar is basically augmented reality so like now your ex- explanation given your explanation that makes sense and vr is basically virtual reality yeah right exactly so you want to augment you want to put things on top of your day-to-day reality so you can imagine things like recognizing an object and telling the person with a little window on top of that object what is that object or uh, we see some examples of this in in more industrial settings where people workers specialized workers are getting headsets that are able to sort of superimpose diagrams for engine repairs and things of that nature famously google glass is known to have like not uh, picked up in the consumer market right but i read this article recently where like folks still use google glass even today like in certain manufacturing industries try to see if i can find a link to that and it's exactly for the use case you mentioned uh, it what they were saying in the article is typically they would go back to their desks look up the manuals instructions like find out what the instruction is go back and then feed those instructions into like the industrial machine right but now with google glass they can essentially just say okay and essentially then uh say bring up the manual for part a y b whatever the industrial part is right so there's still a lot of like applications there right or the old joke right enhance <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah yeah it it makes for very compelling use cases the the thing is that was kind of sad about google glass is the social acceptance wasn't there right 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 so right right you have to wonder where it's going to go like for for people that watch the tech news and follow it closely they might have noticed that project tango uh has some sort of kinship with daydream the daydream team so yeah, stuff I've heard is that those two teams are actually working out of the same offices, basically. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, and if you've, you might have noticed an announcement from CES that was in January where the first AR, like the first Tango Daydream, or if you want AR, VR combined phone, is supposed to come out this year. And it's going to be a, one of those Zen phones. I forget which one, but uh, the oh. Zen phone AR or something like that. So we're going to have a phone that can do both augmented and mm-hmm. virtual reality. So I'm oh. I'm kind of curious to see what we're gonna what kind of headsets are gonna go with that phone. Oh, that's awesome! We actually at Instacart we use like Project Tango a whole bunch, like in like our shopper team. 
Uh, they oh, started wow. to like, yeah, use a lot of like, Tango is amazing. It's just like, it's, it's crazy how advanced, like the kind of things that you can do. Uh, but I, oh, I didn't hear about this, the first phone where they have AR and VR combined. That sounds super slick. Yeah, definitely. Like, I'm very curious to see how that's going to turn out. You brought up something that was that's that's interesting. I think there's a lot of confusion about. There is there's Daydream, and then there's cardboard. What are the two differences between those? If I'm going to be developing a VR app, right? So that's that's a good question. And a thing that not a lot of people know is that the so the 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 developer kit for Daydream is called Google VR. And Google VR is actually was actually born out of the cardboard project. So if you look, if you go on their GitHub and you look at the history, it used to be the cardboard SDK. And now it became the Google VR SDK and supports Daydream as well as cardboard. So the difference between the two are basically one of hardware, right? Like with what happens with the cardboard is that it's for every phone out there. But every phone out there is not really suited to do proper high resolution quality VR. Okay. Sort of a thought experiment, right? It was, mm-hmm. if uh, memory serves, it was born out of a Googler 20% project, uh, Googlers out of Paris, I believe, that were involved in scanning art from the Louvre, their museum over there, right? So, and they were like, oh, we should do high quality scans and try to render those, render those in 3D. And then they came up with this uh, headset that would uh, enable anybody to basically look at this art and make it available to the grand public. Oh, hmm. So that's that's where that was born out of. Now, fast forward a few years, VR is picking up. They just upgraded the kits, and now we have Daydream Ready phones. If you're curious, I could maybe talk to the specs, because I think a lot of people don't know what the differences yeah. are, right? Please, please, yeah. Yeah, so the thing with Cardboard is it introduced VR to a lot of people. What's kind of sad about Cardboard is it's not really that great. And there's a <laughs> couple of really key reasons for that, right? So one of them is that the sensors in most phones are not super high quality, so the head tracking can be off, right, to start with. Yeah, so that that's not great. Uh, the second thing is that a lot of the GPUs and phones out there are okay, but when you start doing more serious 3D rendering, they're not that great either. So daydream-ready phones are aiming to hit that spec where they can do 60 frames per second consistent rendering without sort of having any hiccups or latency. Got it, got it. That makes sense. And the thing that I guess folks also have to realize is even like on mobile applications, we say, hey, you should really like you don't want jank and you want like the 60 FPS to be met. Uh, With VR, it's so much more important, right? Because like a jank in VR, at least I think it was like Roman who mentioned this, Roman Guy who mentioned this, but like uh, a jank in VR can like really, really be problematic, right? Like you really have to hit that FPS if you want a smooth experience because then you're probably going to give like the user a headache or something along those lines, right? Yeah, and then it's kind of the same thing when you read in a car, right? Motion sickness is basically when your visual is not according to what you're feeling. So if you're in movement and nothing in front of your eyes move, your your whole nervous system is going, like for some people it's worse than others, but your whole nervous system is going, what's going on here? Why am I? And that disconnect is what causes motion sickness. Oh. And for some people it can be pretty bad. Ah, that makes so much more sense now. There's, there's another point I'd like to mention to people that they don't know about for VR. One of the things with those new screens that's really interesting is the low persistence modes that they manage to have. So if, if you imagine your eye being a camera, right? With cameras, if anybody that's done a bit of photography, are, people are aware of exposure, right? When you have low light condition, you put exposure to the max, and then you're going to get like a nice crisp picture, even if it's nighttime. 
The thing with our eye is that there's no shutter, right? You can't control the amount of light that hits your retina. So the thing is, if you're staring at a screen that's an inch away from your eye, after a while, well, pretty instantly, you're going to get persistence of vision problems. So you're going to get big white trails everywhere. You're overexposing your eye. Those new screens, for each frame that, that's being rendered at 60 frames per second, only will turn on the screen something like a third of the time. So the two-thirds of the time that some, the phone is showing you a frame, it's off. Oh, wow. So it just blasts your retina with a short burst of light. It stops. And then it picks up again on the next frame. Wow. Oh, I didn't even... Oh, I, I, I mean, didn't even I, know that. Yeah, I, I had no idea about that. The, like, so two-thirds yeah. of the time, it actually is like the screen's off? Yeah. So if you try Daydream with, uh, say, the Pixel phone, right? Mm -hmm. If you turn on Daydream mode and you take it out of the, the, the headset... And you compare it with a phone running a cardboard app, you're going to see that difference right away. You're going to see that the screen on the Pixel kind of shimmers. You can sort of detect it on a, on a yeah. So. That is so cool. I had no idea about that. Yeah, yeah, it helps a ton with quality. It's the same trick that the big head, the the big players like the Vive and Oculus headsets on desktop mm -hmm. are using. Except for them, it's even better because they have ninety frames per second instead of sixty. Right. Oh, oh god. That's god. the other metric that they're trying to hit to get good quality. Yeah. Let's um, move on here a little bit for folks that are really interested in, in VR, and, and I have been for a while now. If I wanted to start writing an application for VR, is there a certain amount of gear that I need? I'm assuming I'm going to need a, a decent headset. Uh, looks like I'm going to need a, a more you know high-powered device. I'm going to go targeting Daydream. Um, but you know, kind of the big question is like, how do I write a VR app? If you just kind of had to give me the high level view, is it something I can write? Do I have to know like low level C, uh, can I use Android studio? Can I use Java? What, what, and how do, how would, how would I go about doing it? Right. So there's, there's actually a lot of options, right? Uh, in my own talks, I, I target app developers first thing. So I, I target Java and typically I'm going to go with Java and OpenGL or one of the libraries out there like Rajawali that's an abstraction on top of OpenGL. Uh, the, re the reason for this is if you think about the whole platform, there's a ton of Android developers out there. They have a huge skill set, right? And for doing advanced computer graphics, it's not always a very obvious thing. Like a lot of people, so OpenGL is the standard on Android, right? And not a lot of people play around with OpenGL. And the reason is uh, basically fairly simple. It's that a lot of the times you don't need those frequencies, right? You don't need to go play into that, that specific range of things. Well, what does OpenGL do for you? Like I'm, I'm kind of an OpenGL, you know, adult. I really don't know what it is, uh, what it's used for, why I would even want to use it. Can, can you give me that kind of, you know, basic rundown? Yeah, totally. So it's, it's OpenGL is actually ancient by, by computing standards. It's a library that's, that was born, I think, out of the 90s, if not even the late 80s. But okay. let's put it at around 90, the 90, 91 uh, era. That used to be on big-end desktops, like uh, big-end stations. You, you need to buy those silicon graphics machines before <laughs> you could use something called OpenGL. Uh, with time, it, it got more and more, standard, more and more standardized. So the group behind OpenGL is called the Kronos Group. If you Google that, you're going to find their website. They have a whole lot of standards. But this specific one, so GL is for graphic library. That, that's worth mentioning. And you have OpenGL both for desktop and OpenGL for mobile. So the specific version we're targeting on Android is OpenGL ES. Uh, so what does OpenGL give you? It gives you a way of accessing the power of the GPU on your device, mm. basically. 
So it's it's does this involve a, using the NDK? Like, I mean, does that mean with OpenGL I'll have to use the NDK? So you don't have to. Like, basically, it's if you look at uh, the code in the uh, AOSP uh, behind OpenGL, it mm-hmm. is really you are accessing basically a native library. Like, it there there's basically a shim on top of native stuff. Oh, but got you it. Totally okay. get access. You totally get access to it in Java. Got so okay. you you don't have to do that. You don't have to go uh, the C route. Okay. And it's debatable to to you know. There's always these old debates about performance, right? Like a mm-hmm. lot of mm-hmm. old school native uh, types are going to go. Well, C is always going to be faster than Java, mm-hmm. and in some respects that's true. But for most uses, even in uh, OpenGL, like doing graphics programming, you can get a you can get a lot done just being in the Java space. Nice, nice, yeah. I guess like the and I think if correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the reasoning there was with C you can control a lot of like the release of uh, the release and holding on memory like uh, in a more granular fashion versus in Java where you rely on the garbage collector, right? So essentially, yeah. I guess that's where like you can really tweak the performance to work in a way where you can control. But then again, it comes with the beauty that is the <laughs> C API, right? Yeah, um, totally right. I- the thing to note, like if you ever, if when you start playing, like I'm hoping people will be inspired hearing us talk about VR. But if you, if and when you start playing around with OpenGL, you'll notice that a lot of the programming is about creating uh, byte buffers that you're going to be mm-hmm. uh, sending over the fence to OpenGL. Mm-hmm. And the rest of uh, most of the things that people have to learn when they start doing OpenGL ES is how to program something called shaders. What's kind of interesting right. with these pipe, these graphic pipelines is you are sending bytes over and you are writing short programs in a language that's close to C that will process this stuff and then render it out to screen. So you're actually meta-programming the whole pipeline. That is a very succinct description of how it's done. That actually makes... Yeah, if I'd heard that before, it would have made so much more sense. If anybody's familiar with RenderScript, OpenGL is Mm. almost a one-to-one to to RenderScript. If you've done Mm. a RenderScript kernel before... You under will you will understand what OpenGL ES is is like definitely. So when I when I hear all this, I hear like metaprogramming. I hear everything. Like my brain starts getting a little bit of fuzzy, and then I think you know, like all I wanted <laughs> yeah. to do was like put like a three D dice on the screen and make it spin. And I hear this, and I kind of get scared. I'm like, well, I don't know. Is that is that well beyond my capability? Is that something I can't bang out in a weekend because I have to learn these 20 other things before I can even hop into VR? Or, or is there a way that I can get into this as an Android developer and get that quick feedback and that quick, you know, uh, all right, look, I made this cool little project this yeah. weekend. Is there anything like that? I, I think it's accessible to everybody. Like, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm all about creating that content to get people mm-hmm. onboarded. Like the, the, my dirty little secret is I'm really hobbyist. I'm not really all that great with this stuff, but I can <laughs> definitely bang out a few demos here and there and a few examples. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of fun. Like it is definitely accessible to somebody. If you've ever done a linear algebra, even if it's like 10, 20 years ago, which is my case, you just need to review that stuff a little bit. A lot of the libraries are going to do all the math for you. As long as you sort of know where to put the right numbers in the right place you're going to end up with that little 3D shape on screen and making it into a VR example is actually extremely simple. Basically, uh, the Daydream, the the Google VR SDK specifically, is all about programming a scene in OpenGL and then it will do all the hard lifting to turn this into a stereoscopic view for you. So that's, that's, that's the interesting part. And then it provides you with a ton of 
nice affordances where you can grab the, uh, the, the, the metrics and the position of the remote. Like all of these things are taken care of for you. So it's a really nice space to experiment in. And I know both of you are gentlemen, so you're not going to bring it up. So I think it's my responsibility to bring it up because folks should know. On You started a, a, a course on Castor.io about VR as well, right? Oh, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, so I, I can I, encourage people to check that out. <laughs> highly, highly recommended because like, yeah, uh, Etienne also has like a very uh, succinct way of like putting a lot of like this stuff. So it's like... Ve- he makes it seem very easy although honestly i feel it's like a little more difficult but uh, if you walk through the caster videos you'll you'll see like in no time you can get some of these banged out pretty easily and it opens up a whole world to you like uh, the, the interesting part is that a lot of people shy away from this stuff because it looks so sophisticated right they haven't right, done right. 3d graphics before but once you start playing around with these things like you get that awful like awfully good feeling of hey i've just done something insanely cool right absolutely you want to hit that note and everybody can do it i'm convinced of that let's talk about that for a second and and rewind a few steps we have we've covered what OpenGL is it makes sense i you know i kind of have my my brain around a little bit i have android studio open i have a new you know nexus device or a pixel or whatever that can run these nice nice programs at this point i'm sitting down in front of my computer and i want to start writing an app what are the next steps Right, so um, you need to learn a little bit about like uh, various stuff, like the uh, GL Surface View. So, if uh, I don't know if we should get into that specifically, yeah, but no, we should, we should, yeah, let's touch. Yeah, okay, cool. So, the big things to to remember from an Android, like a pure Java Android developer's perspective, is and uh, sorry to interrupt you. Like, uh, am I writing an am I writing an Android application? Are are we still working with fragments and activities, or am I writing just a Java app? Just to kind of clarify. Yeah, yeah, so totally, right? Like you're actually writing a very standard app. The only big difference is what you're going to be putting into your view. So oh. your layout is going to be a full screen, say say we're doing uh, 3D, like a VR 3D. So your screen is going to be basically a full-on surface called a GL surface view, which is like a, a very standard Java class. So instead of like a frame layout or instead of a linear layout or something that I'm otherwise used to using, Instead, the view object that I'm using is a GL surface view. Exactly. And the, there's only one really big, big difference to keep in mind, and which is probably the trickiest bit, but it's not that hard when you get into it, is that that surface view will be drawn on in a different thread. So that's the tricky yeah. bit. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but if, if you're used to UI threads, it's not that tricky, really. You're only dealing, you're dealing with two different ones. The reason for this is you want to get 60 frames per second rendering. So what happens when you create these surface views is that you're going to have to provide something called a renderer to the surface view. And that renderer is where the commands to draw to screen are going to be. So the next thing that happens is that once you start the rendering, like you have two modes. You have continuous rendering, and you can even actually... Uh, program OpenGL and the surface view to render only once. So you don't have to have animation. If you want to do a funky graphic in 3D and you only want to render one frame of it and and have that there, you can do that. Typically, though, you're going to be in continuous rendering mode, which means that your draw method is going to be called, hopefully, 60 frames a second. Uh, if it's slow, maybe less, but you're always trying to aim for 60. And, uh, and that's the big difference. So going through like passing like going over that divide between the two threads is where it kind of gets tricky but if you're used to sort of separating like if the, the basically the rule is simple is don't change state in your gl draw 
methods from the UI thread or from another thread, and then you're golden. So that's the big difference. Got it, got it. And just to, to rewind back, GeoSurface View is an actual view that is provided to you. It's a it's an actual view object that's provided to you by the Android uh, APIs. Uh, for folks who've worked with camera stuff, right? Essentially, the Surface View is something that you attach your camera manager onto. Uh, in a similar fashion, you have something called a GeoSurface View, which is what you use, I guess. Right? Exactly, exactly. Do you use do you use any is there any uh, third party libraries that you use to make this maybe a little bit easier so I don't have to really get down into the weeds uh, to do some of this stuff or or is there not anything like that yet? Yeah, so the the one that's typically used is Rajawali. So if you look at the if you look at Google's demo code like example code, you're going to find a lot of little samples that are using Rajawali. It's a very nice library in the sense that it takes away all the complexities of setting up surfaces and because OpenGL it's it's a bit of a dated uh, library, to be honest. So you end up doing a lot of uh, single steps to to just get to render something on screen. So Roger Wally takes care of all that uh, trouble for you, and you end up only having to create a scene in a very natural way. So people can understand fairly quickly, okay, I need to create 3D objects, I need a lighting source, and you set these up with one or two lines per item. And before long, what you've had, you, what you have on hand is a, a 3D scene rendering. Ultimately, under the hood, it's all GL Surface View. It's the standard uh, APIs, but you can get there a lot quicker. Got it, got it. And we'll make sure to add links to the sh uh, show notes about like some of the Google demos you're mentioning and the libraries you're mentioning. Yeah, totally. Uh, they're they're really the best to look at. Now, we, again, we are an Android here, so we uh, we probably have a switch if it's a Samsung device, but that's another topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, um, now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we, we are Android developers. We have to worry about you know memory and resources and all that kind of stuff. Are there anything, any concerns that we should be aware of when we're developing for, for VR? Anything we should kind of keep in mind when we're doing uh, to be careful of? Yeah, so... Uh, when the GPUs are on for a long time, basically the devices tend to warm up, tend to heat up. And what happens often, like daydream phones are sort of built to mitigate that, but depending on how much you're asking out of the device, eventually the devices will actually slow down. Like they heat up too much and the system's gonna start putting constraints on what you're doing. So that's something that you have to keep an eye on. Those are sort of the concerns that are kind of different. Otherwise, writing apps for VR is very similar to writing a standardized app, uh, except, of course, for the GL stuff. When it starts heating up, does the frame rate get lowered, or what, what's kind of the consequence there? Oh, yeah. it's Yeah, it's going to depend, but most of the time, yeah, your frame rate's going to start getting janky. Uh, things are going to start getting uh, sort of unpleasant, basically. So, yeah. And this, funny enough, it has to do with the complexity of the scenes very often, or what kind of demands you're putting on the GPUs through your shader code. And that's where uh, really the, the the experience comes in, right? Like, I don't have that kind of experience. Like, I'll be very honest with you. But that's where I see very experienced graphics developers shine, right? They can basically make extremely good-looking scenes without making them very heavy, right, which right, used right. to be the whole hobby with the demo sceners back in the day. It was, used to all be about optimization and high frame rates. And... Sometimes mm -hmm. a high frame rate is also all about having a high frame rate without pu putting too much constraints on the system. Got it, got it. So you said heavy, and I'm, it, it, a thought came to my mind. If I built like an actual VR app, right? Like you said, it's very similar to building an Android app. Uh, how is it different? Like, what are the sizes of these apps? Because I, I remember like Google has a VR store, right? And some of those apps are crazy huge. 
but i imagine that's also because they're doing like crazy uh, demos right how what's the typical app size like for a vr app so that's a good question if you're making games you're going to get up there right like mm-hmm. you're going to have a lot of assets a lot of nice right. audio a lot of nice textures and video and whatnot um i think most app developers out there if they're like me anyway they're going to think more about procedural content generation which is in itself a fascinating subject so what's what's kind of interesting is that we're going back to the early days where having smaller programs is actually a very good thing right mm-hmm. our mobile devices very often are going to be running over a cellular network so if you manage to write an app even if it's a vr one that can create compelling content without being too heavy, mm-hmm. you have a definite competitive advantage there. Like, we're probably not going to be talking about AAA blockbuster games or anything like that. <laughs> but, but, I mean, there's definitely space for people who know how to be uh, sort of thrifty with their resources. Got it, got it. And uh, I did mention the Play Store. So there's a specific VR Play Store just for, like, the Google stuff, right? Yes, totally. So, uh, and right now, that's actually a good uh, thing we should mention to people. So if you want to write a Daydream app, you can, of course, do it totally on your own and run it and debug it. There's no problem there. But right now, for the moment, you do need to have approval from Google if you write an app and you want to put it up on the store. Mm-hmm. Um, the good news there is that eventually we were told they're, they're hoping to open it up to everybody without necessarily having a, a gatekeeper mm-hmm. of sorts. Mm-hmm. But the thinking behind that is uh, you want you want to build a platform, right? You want to have early adoption. You want, you want it to be sky high. So you need to make sure that the available apps and games and experiences are going to be top-notch. Got it. Got so it. That's, that's why the walled garden still today. But oh. uh, the, the good thing to note is that that should be, anyway, if we follow the promises that have been given Maybe. out a bit, that should be sort of open to all developers sometime this summer. Well, I'm, I'm just basically uh, guessing here but that's sort of what they was hinted at so far and i just want to back up uh i forgot to ask this because now i'm super inspired and i'm curious to see how i could build vr apps right uh i've got a daydream headset but for folks who don't necessarily have that is there like an emulator equivalent for this like yeah. how, how exactly would if i build it like how do i test this thing Right, so that is actually a bit tricky. So you can you can totally uh, run a the VR SDK against an emulator. The only gotcha at this point is that you're only going to get access to OpenGL ES2. Uh, so there's multiple versions of OpenGL ES. Uh, the very early phones had OpenGL ES1, which was not a programmable pipeline. So that was a throwback to the early 90s of OpenGL programming. Uh, nowadays, any modern pipeline should be programmable. You can write shaders. That's very important. You get that with ES2, but you don't get the latest advances. So you will need a physical device, but you can get away with experimenting for the weekend on a on a typical emulator. Got it. And I can use a cardboard for this, right? Or is that... Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah so for I can, sure. I mean... Okay. It's not going to be awesome, right? But <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It's totally, totally worthy for experimentation. That that was the big, the big draw for cardboard. Anybody could do it. Right, right. That makes sense. Now, in the future, you know, everything's going to, everything's changing at all times when it comes to technology in general. Is there anything that's that you see in the pipeline coming down that's maybe going to help improve the development of, of VR apps? Yeah, we're we're very much in the very early days of VR, and and that might be the tricky bit. If you wanted to say tomorrow start a company that made apps for VR, it would be a bit tricky, right? 
it's not clear which platform is going to be the winner. It's not even clear what kind of hardware we're going to get like six months down the road. But that's also why it's so exciting. A lot of the the really f- interesting things coming up. Uh, something I'm probably going to mispronounce this. So you have something called foveated rendering. So that's that's fancy wording just to say. Well, just to say it's fancy wording <laughs> to describe. Uh, devices that can track where your eye is looking at on screen. Ah, so they ha- got it. Yeah, so okay. they've come out with these new headsets that are going to be able to uh, see where your eye is looking and only do high resolution and high quality rendering at the spot your eye is staring at. Oh, that's awesome. Right? Oh, okay. So yeah. it can really push like the performance sort of thing, right? So it can like get like all that performance and like focus it at certain like points. Yeah, exactly. Because your eye doesn't see in perfect focus all around it, right? Like right, you, you right. focus on that point. So if you only render the super high quality stuff at that point, your GPUs are going to be much happier and much cooler that way, right? <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a cool concept. Yeah. The other crazy thing that I've seen in the news in the last few months, and if, if somebody's following this, they probably saw that too, but Qualcomm has like these uh, dev headsets coming out that have foveated features and also have what's basically a connect. Well, it's uh, I think it's the company's called Magic Leap. So they yeah. have two cameras oh, yeah. in mm-hmm. front of the device that can see where your hands are in 3D. Mm-hmm. So you suddenly have a 3D VR experience where you see your hands and you can basically manipulate objects. And that kind of stuff is going to do wonders for uh, everything that has to do with like suspension of disbelief and, and really awesome simulations. Wow, that's just, yeah, this is like some super crazy cool stuff coming along the way, right? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very exciting field, definitely. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. I think some folks that are probably listening to this, and this is kind of where I sit too, is, uh, you know, you did discuss some of, you know, we don't know if this is going to be the solution of, of VR, if it's going to be around or, or if things are going to change. So some people might be wondering where or when should they invest time or, or what would be the, the best place to do it? Do you have any tips in regards to that? Right. So I, I'm very bullish personally on the Daydream platform. I think it's one of the first really wide, uh, like wide access ones that's really good quality. Mm-hmm. Like the Vive and the Oculus are awesome, obviously, but they are pretty costly to get. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's a big thing. Uh, the the other platform to mention that's kind of linked to all of this is that if somebody wanted to get into more like the game side of things, Unity, learning Unity might be a very good thing. So people might not be familiar with what Unity is. It's a game programming engine. Okay. So what's what's kind of interesting about Unity is that you can target multiple platforms with this uh, with this game development engine. So you can make games for Android Daydream. You can make uh, games for that would use Tango. You can also target Vive, Oculus. So all of these things are available to you. So if you're really more looking at developing a game than say maybe most of our listeners here that are interested in building apps with using VR. So if you're looking to do games, Unity is probably a good skill set to, to, to get because that's going to stay uh, relevant for the years to come for sure. And personally, Daydream, I feel, is, is a pretty good tech, especially if you're going to develop with Java and OpenGL. Uh, OpenGL in itself is not going away anytime soon. It's it's like a standard, right? You can whatever you learn on that will you'll will you'll be able to carry it over to iPhone, to desktop, to what have you. So that's a nice place to start. 
And if you're really looking to the future and are not afraid of a little bit more complexity, as if we didn't have enough, uh, <laughs> right. there, there's a new graphic standard called Vulkan that's coming out from the same group that uh, was uh, to, that takes care of OpenGL called the Kronos Group. So Vulkan is the next generation of graphic libraries that's truly going to be cross-platform. So you're going to use the same system both on Android, it's already available for Android and uh, Nougat, and you're going to also be able to use it on desktop, uh, consoles, what have you. I remember during the announcement, Romain Guy was the only one who was like super excited about this. Like he was the one, and we are getting Walken, and everyone was like, <laughs> <laughs> and he was like so excited. And <laughs> well, th- we should all pay attention to what he likes, like because that's going to be the standard in a year or two. I'm thinking. Absolutely, absolutely. And you mentioned Unity, uh, just to let our listeners know, Unity is C-sharp, right? Yeah. So that used to be for me a bit of a blocker when I'd recommend things to people, especially Java developers. Oh, really? Um, okay. But uh, if you look, JetBrains has a new IDE. Uh, it's it's I think it's still in early access. It's called Writer, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. And Writer works on Mac, on PC, and it hooks up really nicely to Unity. So you get mm-hmm. the full power of the JetBrains suite that I think a lot of us really love to use, and I can't live without it personally. So that's that's something to explore as well. All right, that, yeah. And I mean, actually, like both, I know Don and I are big fans of C Sharp. So, oh, uh, yeah, yeah it, it is a very nice language. Like, you know, if don't, if, if you can deal with Java, you can definitely deal with C Sharp. Yeah, as, I came from C Sharp over to Java after being in C Sharp for many oh, years. Wow. And I felt like I, I felt like I stepped back <laughs> in time. I'm like, whoa, wait, we don't have lambdas. And like, this was like back in like 2008. I'm like, there's no lambdas in Java. I'm like, oh, goodness, like four loops everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> That's very true. Actually, I should put out a warning, though. Unity's uh, C-sharp version is kind of old, uh, which is okay. the slight <laughs> caveat there. So we're, we're, t- we're talking about... I don't, I don't know which version of C-sharp we're talking about, but we're talking circa 2007. So I'm, I'm, I don't know if they had lambdas or I, I haven't played enough around with it to know. So, But just a small warning to people. And another quick follow-up question. You mentioned Unity, right? Uh, have you actually worked on games with Unity? Just basic games can be built like typically with unity yeah right? totally so uh, one of the things like i i i have to say it's more of a as an observer i have to report this but i i do some uh, community involvement and uh uh with a comp- uh, a group a nonprofit here called osmos in montreal and they do hospital visits for kids for six kids and things like oh, that oh wow yeah, so they bring VR to those kids and and let them experience different environments, and they've been building their own environments using Unity. That's wonderful. So t- yeah, so uh, definitely, and a lot of people that come on to those projects are like community volunteers that have sometimes no previous programming experience. So I've seen oh. a lot of wonderful stuff being done with that, where people just come together, right, and and build new things. So totally, yeah. We'll add a link there uh, into the show notes for this as well. This sounds like an amazing program. Yeah, no, definitely. If people can check that out, like uh, it's 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 an example to be followed. I think every city <laughs> could could be doing a program like that. Like we've had a a lot of success with it. People really, yeah, a lot of impact. Really cool stuff. Fantastic. Okay, so I'm sufficiently inspired. <laughs> I want to build a <laughs> VR app. Uh, I want specific resources. Like you said, some of the generic <laughs> things that uh, uh, you think would work right 
I'm going to kick it off. Your Caster IO that I mentioned before is probably one. I'm going to drop that into the show notes right away. I think that's amazing. Are there any other ones that you use? Like, what did you use before you built this Caster IO course for us? Right. So when I originally learned OpenGL ES, um, my first go-to, weirdly enough, was app, Apple documentation. So we can probably drop a link to that. It's oh, very, sure. well put, very well put together. Totally applies to Android development. I mean, OpenGL ES is the same on both platforms. Uh, there's also a very good uh, series called Android uh, Learn OpenGL ES for specifically Android. It's a it's, the website is learnopengles.com. So that site is a very good reference. It's a bit older, but to get started and, and learn all the basics of ES2, which will help you sort of plunge into the later versions, totally, totally recommended to check that out. Uh, if you want to get inspired and see what crazy stuff the kids are up to these days uh-huh. <laughs> uh, g- go see a site called shadertoy.com uh, okay very interesting site it runs off of your your web browser so you're going to be able to see some of the effects so mm-hmm. these are are this is a free repository uh, an open repository i should say of shader code so the shaders we mentioned that you can you use to program the pipeline you can take that code and in some most cases drop it one-to-one in your own shaders and make nice. crazy effects. Uh, there's all sorts of things there. You can waste days just exploring that repo. It's it's really, really cool. And uh, Roger Wally is also a really important library to check out if you want to get started very quickly. And the developer, uh, developers.google.com has a lot of really good documentation, good example code. Definitely check that out. Yeah, I just want to say the, um, the caster lesson that you did, which is great, is actually a free lesson it's the you can build your first Google VR app in, in ten minutes, and the amount of content you cover in that ten minutes is phenomenal. When I got done watching that lesson, I was literally like, thought to myself, "Like, wow, okay, I really feel like I have everything I needed now to get set up and get going." So, highly recommend that. Against free lesson, check it out. Awesome. And if people have suggestions, by the way, by seeing that, like, I would love to hear from people uh, how how they they manage to follow along. If they have anything else they'd like to explore, I'd really like to hear about that. Well, where should they do this? Is there like a convenient place that you'd like to take in requests and maybe questions? And other uh, cool stuff about VR. Uh, I believe you can leave comments on the uh, the the Google VR course, the free course on Caster. And otherwise, I usually go. Th- uh, I ask people to sort of get in touch with me via GitHub issues, which might be a bit of a weird thing, but uh, that's really a, that's really an easy way to sort of reach me and 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 do requests and things like that. Nice, nice. And uh, do you have a Twitter handle handy that people can like, reach out to you? Right. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm so bad with social stuff, those social networks. <laughs> oh, those newfangled social networks. Uh, so my, my Twitter handle is Kanawish. So that's K-A-N-A-W-I-S-H. Okay. And uh, yeah, you can find me there and I'm, I'm, I'm usually responsive. Perfect. We'll drop that in uh, to the show notes as well. And Don, if folks want to join you on your VR learning experience, where do they do that? They can follow me at Don Felker on Twitter. That'll be the best place to reach me. And finally, where can they get a hold of you, Kaushik? Kaushik Gopal on Twitter is usually the best place. Fragmented Cast is our Twitter handle uh, for the podcast. So if folks have any additional things that they want to reach out to us, uh, that's a good place. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, Again, Etienne, thank you so much. This has been so amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked. I, I It's going to be difficult for me to get any work done today because I've got to go into work, but I'm going to keep thinking about <laughs> this now. <laughs> it was really awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on. All right, folks, we will catch you in the next episode.
That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. Sarah the Amazing Jackson from the Spec Network helps with production assistance and wraps our final mix. Our theme and ad music is by the national recording artist Blueprint from Weightless Recordings. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode. Thank you.